All right. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Letter of Law Interviews. In the sixth episode of this interview series, I am thrilled, I'm delighted, I'm very happy to be in conversation with Karan Tripathi. Karan is presently an associate editor with Live Law, and he's also a lawyer. And I'm very happy that we're able to do this. In fact, I reached out to Karan just yesterday, and he agreed to come on the show today. Usually, all the guests agree to come at a two weeks notice, one week notice, but Karan was very kind to, you know, do this uh, very quickly. So thank you so much, Karan, and thank you for being on the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I don't know how to interpret that. Uh, <laughs> the quick response, uh, but uh, I've always, uh, uh, I think, I've, I, was a, I was a law student. I was in your place, I think, just uh, a year ago. So I can completely understand the effort and hard work and, and, uh, um, and commitment that goes into organizing something like this. So I think... Um, that sort of motivated me to quickly say, yes, let's do it. <laughs> let's not postpone it. Oh, so thank thanks so for having me. Oh, thanks for having it's, me. It's my pleasure. So Karan, before uh, anything else, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to law school, your life so far, and just everything in general, and we'll take it from there. Oh, that's quite tricky. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, I've always, uh, I've sort of never sat down and reflected as to how would I ever answer that question. But um, just touching upon the few indicators that you mentioned, one of them being law school. Uh, so I went to Symbiosis Law School, Pune, and I graduated in 2019. Uh, I was in the 2014 to 2019 batch. Uh, during my course at law school, I specialized in uh, subjects on criminal justice and human rights um, and comparative subjects like comparative constitutions, comparative criminal procedure, uh, legal writing. So these are the few areas that I sort of, uh, uh, I, I, I sort of specialized in, although I don't understand the idea of specializations at law school. <laughs> we had to take yes. seven subjects uh, the so seven subjects is really not a specialization, but but I made sure that on those seven subjects, out of them, at least five or six are uh, on criminal justice and human rights. So uh, just after my graduation, I was uh, actually during the last uh, a few months preceding my graduation, and that was after my final exams, I was work, working uh, with an additional public prosecutor in the Delhi High Court, and we were handling a lot of uh, POXO matters and NDPS matters. And that sort of introduced me to uh, not only how the state in, uh, prosecutes these cases, but also how the state investigates these cases, which was a very interesting um, insight for me because I thought that uh, the job of a police officer investigating agencies just to sort of present the facts and whatever materials and evidence that they've come across during the, during the investigation in a very impartial manner before the court and let the court decide. Uh, but it was, it was during my work with the additional public prosecutor that I realized that it doesn't happen that way. And uh, the idea of prosecution strategies and the idea of investigating strategies and the politics of law enforcement is very much apparent. And because we were dealing with legislations like POXO and NDPS, where that politics of law enforcement becomes even more apparent, um, especially in NDPS. Um, so I sort of as they say in the movies, introduced to the dark side of the, of the law enforcement. Um, and uh, then I had a conversation with myself that, you know, do I want to be a participant in all of this? Or I said, no, I don't want to. Um, and I decided to sort of move towards writing and research, which took me to Live Law. And I was very happy for Live Law. And it was, it's a very Cinderella story, actually, as to how I got into it. I always tell people it's a very Cinderella story. So I quit my job and I had nothing else to do, <laughs> and I was just in, I was I was embracing uh, unemployment, and um, so I was like, okay, fine. Like uh, now, what should I do? So I said, I'll just do what I'm good at. That is researching and writing. So I kept on. Uh, I started researching uh, developments in criminal justice across the world, and I started writing on uh, issues of torture, prisons, uh, death penalty. And 
I started just dumping my articles on LinkedIn because I I couldn't wait for you know to get as you said you know as a as a, as a law student I couldn't wait to <laughs> I was very impatient to get a reply from journals or or you know websites and portals that we ac- accept your article for publication I think there was just right. it was this I couldn't wait for it I right. was quite eager to put my work out there so I started just dumping my work on LinkedIn and one day I get a I got an email from the editor of Life Law wow. saying that uh, we've been reading your work. Are you interested in the kind of work that we do? And I said, okay. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> and then we had uh, I sort of pre- I freelanced for them for like a month. I did freelancing work for them, and then I was taken on board permanently. And then rest is history. I mean, <laughs> it's been so long. And yes. <laughs> So that is that has been my my wow, journey that's, so far. That's that's quite a lot, and you know, in that uh, that's re- that's a really wholesome answer. It in fact covered the first few of the questions that I had. So really, really interesting story of how you got into life law. You know, before we actually start talking more about your professional life and life law, I want to go back to Simbaya's law school, Pune, or Pune. whatever works i don't know uh, you know a lot of my viewers and my close friends are right now going to law school there and before we started recording you were just talking about how you would uh, move around the streets of uh, pune and enjoy that so do you do you miss it now that you're in delhi and you know the air is toxic you can't possibly step out of course there's a pandemic going so do you think there's a difference in living between pune and delhi oh yes <laughs> uh, that's the oh, yeah. simple answer uh, i always i always tell people i'm a pune kar in exile <laughs> and uh, it's uh, yeah i mean my heart and soul is in pune in every nook and corner of kalyani nagar where i lived for 3 years and viman nagar where i lived for 2 years and all my friends uh, actually one of my friends subeda is currently you know is in cambridge she's doing her llm from there and subeda and i were just chit chatting so and we are, comparing everything in cambridge to what we had in pune and we'll be like oh my god this corner looks like this oh my god this place looks like that so so you know it's 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 only now that i realize how much how much of my life i live vicariously um uh, trying to sort of recreate what i had in pune and i realize that that's not something unique to me that's been happening to all my friends and who lived with me in pune so yeah. so it's sort of the city city not only grows with you it stays with you and um and i think one of the most beautiful thing about pune is that if you meet any punekar and you ask that person like do you like pune and definitely they're going to going to say yes and they're going to say yes we do it not like we love it so it's a it's a common sentiment that we so universal sentiment for punekars and uh, and i think anyone who's watching this or who uh, who's from pune and they'll realize what i'm talking about and they know where i'm coming from so so yes i mean Right, my heart and soul is in Pune. I mean, you spoke it like a true writer. The the city not only grows with you, but it stays with you. I was like, oof. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Karan, uh, one of the things about legal journalism that has fascinated me uh, always is that in law schools presently, I don't see any discourse around legal journalism being considered as a viable option. in law schools most students are either looking for a corporate job litigation judiciary and some academia so but do you think this trend is actively changing and do you think legal journalism is becoming something that law students can actually think of pursuing as a career i mean i don't know whether it's changing as a trend i haven't talked to a lot of law students as to i think they're still sort of uh, very much looking forward to a lucrative career in law firms and and um uh companies litigation chambers i don't know if many of them are looking for litigation chambers but i think uh the answer is that you know law school requires a lot of monetary investment uh regardless to whichever law school you go to and uh, the sort of environment that we're going up where we see education as an investment as a financial investment that should have financial returns um uh so that sort of commodification of education has entered the field of law as well uh and that sort of reflects in the career decisions that we law students take uh i mean honestly law legal journalism was not something that i sort of knew that i'm going to do 
uh, when I was in law school. I was eyeing a career in, you know, in policy. I knew that I wanted something where I don't have to wear a uniform. <laughs> I was very sure about that. I was like, no, I can't wear formals and nothing fits me. I had I had huge body image issues. I was like, oh my god, I doesn't I don't look good in formals. I don't want to. I don't want a job where I have to pay farmers all the time yeah. uh, because I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't just feel confident in farmers. I was very sure that I wanted a career where, where at least I have liberty of expressing myself through my clothes. Right. Uh, so, uh, so I was eyeing a career in policy or, uh, or somewhere I get to write. Somehow when I graduated, there weren't any openings at, uh, at policy think tanks. And so I had to sort of, uh, you know, work uh, with the state the public prosecutor mm-hmm. uh, and then live law happened I realized that live law sort of gave me a platform and the kind of arrangement which which I realized was very overwhelming because I think the very first case that I did uh, when I joined live law was the Peach Dambram a money laundering case I which I sort of covered right from the date of his arrest to his judgment uh, grant of bail from the Supreme Court uh, so uh, it was uh, quite overwhelming because I was like, oh my God, what is happening? I didn't even know that we had CBI court in Delhi. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I get a message as like, Peter Dambram getting produced in Rao's Avenue court. And I was like, what is Rao's Avenue? <laughs> 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 uh, I thought there's only Patiala House, Peter Dari, and like, what is this Rao's yes. Avenue? And yeah. it was quite a, and it was, it's, and, and anyone who's been to Rao's Avenue court would say it's a very confusing court. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, it was very overwhelming, but I think uh, it's only later that you, and then soon after Chidambaram, I was doing Nirbhaya, JNU, Jamia. So uh, I think Nirbhaya was sort of an eye-opener. It, it, it sort of strengthened my conviction towards uh, criminal justice uh, reforms and the kind of, I think what I realized is that uh, when we talk about reforms, uh, uh, even uh, before talking about structural reforms as to what we can do uh, to change the law and change uh, the fun- uh, the procedures, is that we need to, first of all, uh, disseminate information. We need to sort of create a discourse where people have access to uh, knowledge uh, on criminal justice. And, right. and this sort of became extremely apparent uh, during Nirbhaya because the kind of discourse that was going on in the media, the kind of discourse... And because I could see that, right? I was surrounded by journalists from across the spectrum, uh, from uh, across media channels, from uh, NGOs, international NGOs, um, different stakeholders. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, the conversations were going on inside the court, outside the court, and the clamor was quite apparent. Uh, that was the moment I sort of realized that, you know, the judicial reasoning is very much amenable and susceptible to, to public clamor. And, and the kind of discourse that goes on outside the courtrooms, it's, it's quite, quite susceptible, especially at the level of trial courts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, even in, 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 in this was an execution proceeding, so trial court could not have actually done it, the, the role of the trial court. That was just to sort of uh, pass a death warrant. But I think even during those proceedings, one could see procedural violations taking place and principles of natural justice being ignored. So... Uh, so yeah, I mean, that was the moment I sort of realized that this is where I need to be and this is where my efforts must go. Uh, so even before, uh, you know, mooting for uh, policy reforms, legal reforms and administrative reforms, we must, first of all, visibilize the discourse on criminal justice. People must know what's happening and people must know what's the law. Uh, and then only we, sort, we can sort of make an assessment as to, you know, where we are and what's happening, uh, then only we can talk about uh, the reforms. So yes, I mean, uh, it, was, uh, it was quite overwhelming, but uh, you only sort of realize what's happening once all of those things are over. And then you have a very lazy day in the court. We yeah. don't have many matters to cover. And that's you think, oh, you remember this happened or remember that happened. <laughs> so, so yeah. That's that's uh, that's a, quite an interesting take on um, on the need to disseminate information about criminal justice system. Staying on that topic, uh, clearly there isn't much awareness. Forget about the criminal justice system, about laws in general. And another 
um, connected area to this, I believe, has to do with um, the lack of transparency in courts. And uh, in the previous episode, I had Vakasha with me, and I and I spoke to him about um, the importance of uh, live tweeting in uh, ensuring uh, transparency in courts. And I, you know, there's there's often a criticism made against live tweeting that it causes the lawyers and the judges to play to the gallery. And there's often, uh, you know, a lot of trolling on the internet based on what some judge or some lawyer has said in court. But because you are working in live law and live law is one of the foremost legal platforms which is involved in this. And of course, live tweeting has made courts transparent like no others. Otherwise, you wouldn't even know what was happening. So what's your take on this, on on? on live tweeting, or especially on a platform where there's so many people, so many young people like Twitter. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I encountered uh, on this larger issue of transparency of courts and uh, transparency of judicial system is I realized that uh, uh, that discourse that is out there and the information that goes out is mostly from the Supreme Court. And I mean, when we talk about legal news, or legal discourse, we talk about Supreme Court, and we talk about even like some high courts. Uh, and uh, I mean, it was very apparent. In I mean, you look at how the organizations work. I mean, at Live Law, we only had correspondence in Bombay, Delhi, and Karnataka. Okay. When we started, it was like there are twenty-eight high courts in the country. <laughs> not not twenty-eight high courts. I mean, I mean there are many high courts yeah, yeah, in the yeah, country, yeah. but we had uh, we had only three. Uh, so. Um, I think media does carry the burden uh, responsibility of dissemination of law or dissemination of judicial functioning, but media comes with its own uh, ideology, media comes with its own purpose, uh, that, and that is, you know, at the end of the day, viewership. And this entire idea of, of what sells, more, more now than ever, actually, like now it, is, it has become sort of very uh, extremely bad. Uh, but yeah, what I was trying to say is that... Uh, the discourse was heavily dominated by the Supreme Court and some uh, important matters at the High Court. Um, and by important matters, I meant some uh, matters that involved it high sounding parties. Yeah. Uh, so I sort of uh, realized, uh, because I was coming from a law background, uh, I was coming from a legal background, I realized that, no, no, uh, I mean, there are certain cases that involve very fascinating questions of law and uh, very, very important uh, questions of fact, if, educate, if adjudicated on either of the sides can lead to a tectonic shift on how we look at uh, legal interpretation. But all of them were getting ignored because uh, the newspapers would only give certain amount of space to legal news. Right. And all of that had to be some high sounding matters uh, before the Supreme Court. And I think that's where I realized that my responsibility as uh, the correspondent for the high court and the trial courts is even more profound because my responsibility is to highlight what's been extremely invisibilized. And that is the discourse at the trial courts. Uh, and, and I think uh, the first time I went to Tisa Zari, uh, <laughs> which uh, I don't want to say <laughs> the kind of words that are being used. For no, Tisa Zari, but say something scandalous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so the first time I went to Tisazari Court, I know I actually Tisazari Court has its own uh, areas which are extremely beautiful and very extremely aesthetic. Especially there's a they have a central foyer where they have all these wooden desks kept, and okay. you can see it from the third floor. It's very pretty. Okay. Uh, so very Instagrammable. <laughs> uh, so when I went to Tisazari for the first time, I realized that what I need to highlight is not only the matter that I was there to cover but also the sociology and the anthropology of that courtroom, of, of the uh, infrastructure, of how uh, there is access to, access to infrastructure, access to the movement inside the court, who gets to sit on chairs, who gets to sit on the floor, um, who occupies the courtroom. And you, know, you see that all these elements of class, uh, caste, uh, gender becomes very, very apparent when you, when you look at, when you go to a trial court and you, uh, uh, and you see all of these things. So I realized that, you know, there is so much to write about. I mean, there is not just, uh, 
when we talk about judicial functioning and judicial transparency we fail to understand that all of these things also play a role uh, in judicial functioning judicial transparency i mean if i find a court as an intimidating institution you know like the architecture the very architecture of the courtroom or the very environment or the ecosystem of the courtroom i find as a litigant very intimidating or very unwelcoming yeah. or very unwelcoming i'm already i have already lost my case i'm already victimized to a larger extent and that is going to affect my my purpose and my my commitment towards uh, access to justice uh, 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 in in terms of how we understand justice so so i re- i realize that that part needs to be highlighted and uh, uh, we need to sort of have a conversation on that and uh, and also you see that that sort of translates into the substantive justice that is being carried out in the trial courts uh, something as simple as you know uh, uh, as something as simple as attendance of the investigating officers so most of the times ios will not come to the hearings or uh, and they will simply say that they got stuck in the line outside the court there's a huge line they could not come inside or or they would say that they were busy in some other court which is on the fifth floor and there's no lift so they could not come down and all of those things so you realize that all of these things also sort of and then that then you get a very very long date and suppose if it's a bail matter you get a date like two weeks later so now your your bail gets postponed for two more weeks because of some very stupid administrative laps that had happened and you know even during the vc hearings i see this left right and center especially in the karkaduma courts and these i courts vc hearings i've been attending uh lawyers really beg the judge please give us physical hearing please give us wow. physical hearings because the internet connectivity and i've actually written an article on it and i'll share it with you the internet connectivity was so bad i it's improving now i'm talking about one or two months when the the heart of the lockdown yeah and uh, and i could see uh, lawyers complaining about uh, that they could not they were waiting and their matter could not come up because they were extremely there were major technical glitches that were delaying the previous matters so uh, i mean some of the lawyers had to sms their arguments to the court masters because there was such bad connectivity they couldn't argue and these raises serious questions about how we how we look at justice you know justice is not just for the sake of convenience or for recording the orders or to juxtaposing what we see in the context of law and facts justice is also sort of look beyond uh, the the facts and the law and to see as to how these extraneous factors uh, are affecting the experience of justice or uh, or how we or how the litig or the most socially and economically disadvantaged are thinking of as judiciary as courts you know so when we say that you know from childhood we've been hearing that court kachari ke dhakke khane padenge court kachari ke dhakke khane padenge so there is a reason right the court kachari mein dhakke hote hain and these dhakke are as literal as metaphorical uh, so so i think that is something that i believe is an important part of when we talk about judicial transparency and and judicial functioning that uh, i mean our trial court and this is delhi this is national capital so one can only imagine what happens in the trial courts in other states so uh, all of this i i realize i have an added responsibility uh, i i did a story on the caste bias in trial courts in 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 rajasthan where i realized that how the judicial orders were recording the caste of the litigants which was completely prohibited by the rajasthan high court and the statue of manu that stands there so uh, so you know i think that is an important part of uh, the discourse on judicial accountability and functioning that we as a as a uh, as a society or as as even the people in the fraternity obsessed with the drama in the supreme court is sort of uh, you know sort of not looking at because it's not it's not serving to the to the glamour of law you know the glamour of law is its power is its, its verbose its eloquence its authority uh, and its command and uh, the dirty picture of the trial court sort of never fits into that narrative uh, and so i think that's why we we both in the from the media and from the fraternity and from the general public we are ignoring and and it is the biggest cause of injustice i feel that that we are ignoring 
Wow, that's a really, really profound and interesting take. I clearly there's a lot to make sense of. Uh, sense of. Oh my gosh, you did ask me about live. Tra- I'm so sorry. No, uh, no, no, I no. just read. You asked me about live tweeting. Uh, very briefly, I'll say I think I find live tweeting. Uh, I, I get a lot of anxiety, <laughs> uh, especially when I, I think it's 140 characters. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. 140 characters per day. Uh, so it's it's literally a skill. As much as <laughs> as much as I would like to, as much as I would like to believe it's not. I mean, it sometimes is. I'm. Just, it is. It's so mechanical. <laughs> it's so mechanical. Like tuck 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 tuck. But uh, I think. Uh, both me and my colleague from Baron Bench, Aditi, uh, very good friends. Uh, so we sort of always joked about it as to, you know, my God, we hate live tweeting. We hate live tweeting. <laughs> it's, uh, but I think, I mean, uh, uh, I think it, it is, I personally feel, and I think this is an insider view, yeah. is I don't think it captures the courtroom proceedings in its entirety. I mean, it mm-hmm. does carry, it does carry the, it does carry the seed of sensationalism. It does carry the seed of uh, of something being picked up out of the context. And I've seen that happening, you know. And the point is that because I'm live tweeting, I am not I'm not able to respond to the comments that are being made on the tweets and how the tweets have been interpreted. Uh, and sometimes they've been interpreted out of context. And I can't do because I'm still live tweeting. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, but you know you have to realize. I mean, the courts have been so. I mean, I mean, technically they are uh, they are the open court and they're, they're the court of record. Uh, they're the court of records and they're the open court. At least the high court is because the court of record. Uh, and when we talk about proceedings, they're open proceedings, public proceedings. Uh, uh, so uh, and we talk about documents, right? Even though this entire seal cover business and in camera yeah. proceedings are a thing these days. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, so we we need to answer. We need to ask those questions as to how do we make open courts open, and how do we make public proceedings public, and that's where the idea of live tweeting came. And I think I I would love to read up on the history of live tweeting, but I think someone told me that lawyers started doing it, and oh, really? the lawyers. Yeah, I, I mean, I I, I don't I I. I hate to confess this, but I don't think the genesis of live tweeting is with the media. <laughs> I think media sort of, <laughs> wow. yeah, I think media, media so sort of, I think lawyers starting, I, that's what I, I've been told actually. I have not studied it, but uh, the history of live tweeting, I think lawyers started it. And I think it sort of became a rage. Uh, oh my God, this just said that, this just said that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I think uh, we sort of picked it up. Uh, and uh, with live tweeting, you also have to see that one good thing about live tweeting is that you don't actually get much time to refract what you're writing through your own sensibility, right? right? Which you get to do in your reports. When you mm-hmm. come back and you submit your story and you submit your report, that is the time where you usually get to reflect, okay, did this just said this? But in this context, and that is, you know, that has its connotative and denotative meaning. But when I, when you're live tweeting, you just say X, Y, Z, la, 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 and A, B, C, la, la, la. I mean, you can't possibly tamper with the facts yeah. or the facts are not that amenable. Uh, the facts are not that susceptible to the, to the ideological leaning of the person tweeting. Mm-hmm. So that ideological interference uh, uh, sort of reduces, I personally feel, uh, because I don't know. I, I think apart from live law environment, I don't think anyone does live tweeting. I don't think so. No, no, no. Or maybe, I mean, I don't know, I've never read. <laughs> no, on Twitter, I haven't come across anyone live tweeting other than uh, Live Law and Baron Bench. Yeah, so uh, so I think both I can tell for myself and I can, uh, I think if you talk to Aditi, she would probably also say the same thing, is, uh, you know, we don't get time. It's a very mechanical process, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, because you're doing some, you're, you're dealing with a subject matter, which is extremely important, but is also extremely volatile. I mean, if you say something wrong, you know there are ten people at you, and you're getting defamation notices and, and, and all, all contempt and defamation. Luckily, no contempt so far. Uh, <laughs> but I think I've it's around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> or you'll just get a call. You know, I think they don't some some uh, some people don't even reach at that point of time, and they just simply call you. Oh, why did you write this? Why did you like it? Write it that way. La 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 la. And you're just like that happens. 
Has that happened oh, yes. to you? Oh yes, and you used to take it very seriously in the beginning, and now you're just like very politely ask them to, you know what? Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, live tweeting. Uh, I personally feel that it's a very dangerous territory in a sense that if done, if not done properly, and if not done with adequate skill and training can lead to a lot of chaos, can lead to a lot of confusion and things being taken out of context. And especially when you're tweeting sensitive matters on national security or, or uh, freedom or, or something, uh, individual liberty uh, matter, or matters from the Supreme Court. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have this thing against Supreme Court. I don't know why, I don't even know whether it's about to contempt, but I don't, I just feel that, uh, I mean, I, I don't feel, I, I, because I feel that the answers to what's going on in the trial courts cannot come from the air conditioned chambers of the Supreme Court. Sure. Uh, uh, the discourse has to be more decentralized and democratized. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's a very, very responsible uh, uh, texting also, uh, because uh, I tell you when we were, when we were live tweeting Chidambaram, mm-hmm. uh, Chidambaram's matter from Rao Zavani, it's a very, very small court. Okay. It's a very small courtroom uh, it's a, because it's a magistrate's court. It's a very small courtroom. And uh, it's packed with, first of all, packed with us journalists and uh, other media people. Uh, then it's packed with lawyers. Then it's all the supporters that had come from Tamil Nadu and all the party workers. Then the security, the, uh, the security personnel. Uh, it's, I mean, we, we used to turn up for Chidambaram hearings an hour or two hours wow. before. To find so Otherwise, we won't, yeah, we won't get, and you can't sit. I, I used to tell, you know, Live Law must fund a chiropractor for me because my <laughs> back is, I can't feel the amount of, the amount of assault. Yes, I, either, either Live Law should fund a chiropractor, Live Law should fund my alcohol, like anything has to happen because I can't, <laughs> I have, it has, it has been extremely tormenting to my lower back. Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, because it's just horrible and you can't breathe and it's just so, oh, it's, and at the same time, uh, uh, you have to constantly type. And so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 what I was coming at, that the courts are so crowded and it's, it's, it's so chaotic. It's very difficult to hear what the judges are saying or what the lawyers are saying and, uh, and to sort of put it out. So this is where the legal part of legal journalism helps. Yeah. So that's where the formal training in law has that, you know, I was aware of P- PMLA. I'm aware of the Prevention of Corruption Act. I know uh, jargon, legal jargon, like, you know, uh, prime of his size, uh, arbitrary and uh, qua, qua. <laughs> oh my God. This is, I hate, oh my God. This is one word that has created like uh, qua and wide and all those things. Karan, in fact, why don't you place it on record and, you know, tell the correct meaning of qua because I feel it it has been misinterpreted. No, so I long. don't think so. I think, no, I feel I just stop using it. All right. Just stop using it. I, I've actually seen judges getting annoyed. I literally, I think, I don't remember which judge. There was one judge in high court. And he said, would you please stop using Qua? Would you please stop using it? So yeah, so I think there were, there were judges who sort of, I've seen judges who sort of frowned upon it. I think we should time to just say goodbye to certain things. But yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that uh, it is very, uh, uh, it is very unnerving because uh, you have to pros- you have to hear, concentrate, focus at the same time. Tie. They cannot be spelling mistakes. They cannot be grammatical errors. And uh, I mean, it's a lot going on in one time. So it's not easy job. I mean, anyone who's reading those live tweets must understand that there is a lot. And I don't know about Supreme Court. Maybe they are sitting in very air conditioned. Uh, uh, press rooms or, <laughs> or big, big courtrooms. But uh, at least at the trial courts, at the high court, it's an extremely difficult charge. Um, also in the trial courts and high courts, it's much easier for the court masters and the court officials to just show you off. Like, don't do this because they think you're clicking a photograph. Because even the idea of live tweeting is very new to trial courts also. Yeah. So they just get very anxious. And uh, so, you know, so you have to sort of navigate through all of those things. And so live tweeting, uh, if anyone who likes live tweeting, reading live tweets, they must understand there's a lot of effort that goes behind it. Uh, but at the same, and that's why, you know, that demands uh, responsibility, that demands skill uh, and, and, and certain knowledge in law. But at the same time, I also feel that if given an option, I would 
not i would sort of try to end the concept of live tweeting etiquette it must go <laughs> right it must go <laughs> i understand i understand uh, you know karan you said that you know you have a friend in uh, bar and bench but outside of that friendship is there like a rivalry between live law and bar and bench what do you think <laughs> <laughs> I do not wish to comment. <laughs> no, no, of course. I, no, I, I mean, there's a lot of more than rivalry. I think there's a lot of mutual respect. Uh, I mean, they buy in, uh, they buy in uh, Aditi, very, uh, very, very good friend. And actually, they're all very senior to me in the profession. Aditi has been, uh, uh, I think, doing this for quite some time. I think five years, uh, four years, five years, six years. Debayans quite senior. They both have also worked with mainstream organizations like Mint and and the Print. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's uh, they and honestly, they uh, Aditi uh, has been very helpful. Uh, I mean she's she's an outright professional. Uh, so you know, so yeah, I mean it does. Uh, I mean, I, I in terms of you know, it's like a foot soldiers and the commander sort of a thing. So if you watch any war movie you would realize that the foot soldiers are not at war with each other it's the it's the commander in chief it's the, it's the state <laughs> so uh, it's it's the state yeah but we we all uh, there's a, there's a and i there's a lot of camaraderie and especially uh, you know when we were doing nirbhaya and nirbhaya was a time when everyone used to turn up uh, so the camaraderie uh, that was the only time where you will see the ndtv journalists having chai with the times now journalists so <laughs> so the, all of wow. these things especially patiala and and that sort of made us fall in love with patiala house if you go to my instagram i have so many photo like sort of like collections of photos on patiala house and i i i fell in love in patiala house because of uh, the people and and my exposure so yeah i mean Wow. You know that's great. That's great. Um you know we're running short of time. I mean although there's nobody stopping us from going on talking but we must stop at some point. So I'll just you know come yeah. to uh, the final bits of uh, of the questioning. Um I've I've always wondered and uh, when I told you know a couple of my friends that I'll be speaking to Karan who works with Live Law they all said you know you must ask him how is it like working in Live Law like a news newsroom for a legal newsroom how does a regular day at live law look what does a legal journalist do and that's precisely because there's very little clarity as to what this profession involves within the law school community so if you could talk a little bit about that it's every day is different i mean uh every day is different uh there's a lot of running around i think i lost a lot of weight <laughs> uh i literally I lost a lot of weight so thanks to that uh there's a lot of running around uh, uh and i'm sort of reminiscing my physical code days yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. so yeah i just forgot uh, <laughs> that that also happened i think uh, there's also a lot of preparation uh, i think one thing that people must know that the job is not just to write i think writing is not the job writing is simply the language the expression through which you express the job or the subject matter of your job the subject matter is everything that goes behind that one written piece um and i think my personal experience is that working with live law and and and, and i can i think probably say the same with bar and bench is much much more taxing and demanding uh than probably working at uh, you know mainstream media organization because you know they can wait see the thing with live law is you always have to be live yeah so, i mean if you're not live, as the name suggests if you're not live then what's the point of being at live law <laughs> uh, so it is definitely and you know you know like any other job you know like there are days when you're just like oh my god i can't do this i don't feel like waking up and there are days uh, where you get exceptional exceptional recognition that can't be put into words i remember when i was tweeting the when i was actually covering the delhi rights matter before justice murlidhar mm-hmm. and uh, i come out of the court room it was a packed court room i come out of the court room and people like are you current party are you current party i say yes 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 and so we were reading your tweets we were reading things thank you so much thank you so much because they could not enter the court room and yeah. it was a very exciting moment for all of them uh, and then later i realized that uh, 
the reason why there was so much crowd in that courtroom is because of the tweets it's because of the information going out that the matter will be taken up by this court because at that time both of the other dbs were absent oh, i see so okay. just so justice murlidha was db3 mm-hmm. the, the matter had to first come before db1 the db1 was not sitting db2 was not sitting so it had to come before db3 so so yeah i mean that's that's one of the moments where i realized what you're doing is extremely important uh in terms of you know getting access to important uh, significant moments uh that have been uh, carried out some people told me that it was our our coverage of justice mulida's proceedings that eventually led to his transfer uh but i do not know <laughs> i mean uh, i i would like to I, as much as i would like to think uh, that it it has uh, i would say that uh, i i hope that it did not because we loved him uh, in, in our high court it's it was sad to see him go uh, but uh, but yes i mean uh, and then the other time when my my story on delhi rights then got featured in the new york times wow and the new york times quoted my article uh, then That's again like huge. when my Yeah I mean I was crying and my mother thought that I got a fit <laughs> and uh, I I immediately called up my best friend and I was just like you have to be you have to be uh, so huge thing so yeah I mean you know uh, there are moments which sort of uh, make you feel that you know what you're doing is bigger than yourself it's much much bigger than who you are it's 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 part of a larger purpose which is to sort of uh visibilize justice and visibilize law and and visibilize uh how the law and power and identity interacts with each other and uh, but i think the most fascinating thing about the delhi rights coverage was also uh when i mean that courtroom was packed with lawyers also because they were so excited to see a state a high state official or a high state council being held accountable which is so sad i mean i mean as much as it's happy it's so sad i mean uh state authorities or the officers of the state being questioned and being held accountable for their actions in a courtroom should not be an a moment it should not be an exception it should be a routine you know and especially a court as high as high court it should be Very a routine in those Yeah I mean I should not be surprised if I get to know that court number 3 is you know pulling up solicitor general or court number 2 is you know ask the delhi police to submit cctv footage and tell why they have not registered the firs this should not come as a surprise I mean that's what courts are for right for holding the state officials accountable for their responsibilities under the constitution but the very fact that justice pulidas courtroom was not only packed but there were constant interruptions of booing and laughter and here 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 was also a testament of the fact that the moment the reason why that entire event felt very performative is we somehow have lost faith in our judicial forums or the courts holding routinely holding state accountable we had lost faith in that so when we saw that happening it was so exciting so redeeming uh and sort of so i think that is also both happy and sad and that's when you realize what you're doing is much much more bigger than i always tell my friends a small story from court number 37 of delhi high court got published in the new york times yeah so uh it's uh, you know it's it's much bigger than who you are and i think if someone's interested in that if someone's interested in this cause and and sort of uh using your voice and using your platform in 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 you know make uh, in drawing the attention towards the judicial discourse that you want to draw to i mean i'm interested in criminal justice but someone who might be interested in financial matters and and someone might be interested in uh <coughs> you know ipr matters so you can really drive uh, the attention to those issues by using these platforms and uh, and i think uh, i could do that uh, i tell people i graduated last year and they're like what yeah. <laughs> like seriously uh, so i tell them and i and 
and so yeah so i mean i could do that because i had a platform which is you know patronized by the or which is sort of followed by judges regularly both judges at the high court judges at the yeah. supreme court yeah. uh by the people in the fraternity millions of people read so i realized that the voice is important and must be utilized in highlighting the causes that one needs to highlight so i think if one is interested in that it's a very very lucrative career but yes i mean it has its days okay. it definitely has its days <laughs> it definitely yes. has its days wow well you know karan and this can be perhaps the you know one of the final questions that we end with clearly this interview will inspire so many law students to take up legal journalism and you know like quit a corporate job altogether because the way i you've been talking about so many issues and the way you're so passionate about them that really resonates with me at least if not with someone else uh, so uh, you know well, well finally yours was a very fortunate experience to land a job with live law your work got recognized and you got called on but um, how does someone who does not get recognized become let's say legal journalist should they do a degree in journalism or is an nlb degree fine to be a legal journalist what's the process like what do you think should someone who wants to be a legal journalist do i think there is one area of legal journalism that i sort of discovered little late like in 20 later part post nirbhaya uh mostly during the lockdown is that is investigative legal journalism is where you use your uh, skills of researching of empirical research and uh, you then uh, use your research to curate stories and pieces that are extremely extremely important so my research on prisons and my research on uh, probation officers that i did under the guidance of professor vijay raghavan of tata institute of social sciences wow. criminology department uh it really really helped me in uh, in looking at this profession very differently so i realized that legal journalism is not just about court reporting and writing about what's happening in courts but it's also about using your platform and uh, using the accessibility of a journalistic platform or a media platform to uh, to push narratives which are much more research based and empirical and highlight what's happening on ground uh, so if you read my articles written on prisons and carceral experience of prisoners serving life sentence i've been interviewing i've been interviewing prisoners for 4 months now uh, these are the prisoners been sentenced to life uh, in delhi and they were all sentenced while they were young adults so they were sentenced they were basically asked to serve a sentence much more than they have actually lived so far uh, so uh, so my fascinating narratives have appeared and i've i've written about them so i think so sort of investigative legal journalism would involve using your research skills using your academic background using your legal background to produce works that are uh, uh, that are academic in nature but at the same time accessible to to public at large because you've been disseminating them through your portal and your platform and using your voice to take, to draw the attention there so my uh, purpose has been now to take the attention to the prisons which have been extremely invisibilized discourse on prisons have been extremely invisibilized so what i've been doing for the past few weeks and i think past few months now is to sort of dedicate much dedicate my time in doing research on prisons and writing stories to draw attention uh to what's been happening inside our prisons and and i think once we as i said in the beginning of my talk that it's when we talk about reforms we first need to talk about disseminating information like people must know such things exist otherwise they will never be able to identify with the cause you know so empathy i mean existence uh, sort of pre, uh, precedes empathy uh so i need to believe in the existence of something for for me to empathize uh so yeah i mean i believe that my stories uh, on prisons are not based on structural assessment or structural audit of prisons ya chatti ke toilet nahi hai ya overcrowding hai but the story is more about how prisoners feel about the prison so it's, a, it's what we call the carceral experience of pains of imprisonment so the prisoners themselves are telling the narratives of their pains of imprisonment and that should be an important data to sort of work on the reforms on on prisons and the criminal justice system so that has been my orientation and i'm sort of exploring it more now 
and moving more towards that side. So I think that's also one thing that law students can explore straight away uh, is how to find uh, a combination of research uh, and, 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 and journalistic work uh, and, and create robust stories uh, and robust long form articles which are academic in nature and which are extremely very well researched. Yeah. So yeah, so I think that's one more thing uh, that the law students right now can explore. Right. Uh, well, you know, before we end, uh, I must mention to our viewers that due to a paucity of time, there's so much that I couldn't possibly cover, but I wanted to cover. And I'm so glad uh, Karan mentioned his uh, research on prisons. There's a there's a recent article that Karan wrote about uh, the the experiences of queer people in in Delhi prisons. And I will link that article uh, below in, in the description section. And I do suggest that everyone reads it. It's an eye opener. By the end of it, I, I had tears in my eyes. And I'm, I mean, I should say that it's that moving. Uh, and yes, uh, of course. And uh, some, of other, uh, some of the other investigative work done by Karan must be read. And I'll be sure to link all the articles that I've found fascinating in the description description section and you must uh, realize that you know i can't possibly cover everything in like 50 minutes and Karan, you'll be surprised to know that you know people don't like to watch videos which have like a more than 20 minute length so while the intention is always to oh, end yeah. the video before 30 minutes but of course it does stretch on and i don't like to edit videos and i think everything that you've said is worth putting out everything all the guests say is worth putting out and Viewers, my mama's gonna be so proud. <laughs> mother's gonna be finally something to impress my mother. She's so she thinks that you know she's not at all happy with me. So I'm, I'm so happy oh that God. you're something to impress her with. Oh no, I of course, so. it's not just some people, it's, it's a lot, <laughs> lot of people. In fact, I became aware of your work through friends I kind of who had become aware of your work through friends. So clearly, there's a lot of you should have you read this article? Have a lot of friend that? marketing, a lot of yes. friend marketing. <laughs> Yes, well, Love uh, it. <laughs> Karen, finally, uh, with this, we can conclude. Uh, thank you so yes, much for coming you. to Letter of Law. It was a pleasure to have you on board. It was a pleasure and all the best with the coming episodes. And I hope that Letter of Law sort of becomes, it's a very, very good space for us to talk about what's happening in our lives and the kind of work we are doing yes. and uh, in, a very, in a very informal way. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so important for us as well. So I, I wish you all the best for your future episodes. And I hope, I hope this really, really goes ahead. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Karan.